Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. Today's guest in the podcast is Spencer Schieffer. Spencer Schieffer is a certified family law specialist here in Arizona, which makes him among the most experienced and the most tested of family law attorneys in Arizona. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bob, for having me. Spencer, you are incredibly experienced in family law. When I went and I searched your, searched your name on the docket in the Court of Appeals, I found multiple, many, many uh, f- appeals, and more than your average attorney generally, and I would imagine probably more than most, if not many, many, many family law attorneys. And so, you know, you come with a lot of credibility in my mind, on family law. That's what I wanted to have you on to talk about is family law. One of the weird things about the law is we like to make things complex, right? Yes, yes, we do. And we don't, nothing straightforward. You think it's all straightforward, but nothing straightforward. And one of the things that should be straightforward, but it's not, is how you know who your daddy is. So today we're going to talk about who's your daddy. Yeah, you think it's black and white, but life is full of gray area, and that's where the law comes in, sort that gray area out. So let's just jump right into it. Let me give you a fact scenario, and then I want you to tell me if you could tell me who who the daddy is, okay, and how we're going to find out. So. Let's just say, and this is to the to the families out there listening. This is we're gonna. This is gonna be a little bit more PG thirteen of a conversation. So, <laughs> okay. okay, I'll pull back. Let's say that there's a woman out there, and she has multiple partners. Okay. Yep. And and more, by multiple sexual partners, yep. and she conceives a child, and the child is born, and she picks one. Well, I don't know who it is, but Frank. He's a great guy, and I pick Frank. She doesn't know. She hasn't tested. Who's the daddy? Yeah, good question. So in the absence of a DNA test, what a couple can do is they can sign what's called an acknowledgement of paternity. And it's basically a document that you get. Um, sometimes they'll hand it out at the hospital. You can go down to Office of Vital Records and get it. And in a nutshell, the mother and supposed father sign this document saying he's the guy, he's the father. And they sign it and it gets witnessed. And then if they file it with um, the hospital or office of vital records or even with the court, if you want, um, it becomes just like a court judgment saying this is the father. So in the absence of a uh, a paternity test, that's something that a couple can do. Once that happens, he's the daddy. That's the guy. Even if he's not the biological father, so they sign this document, and under Arizona law, he becomes the father, and that's and that gets. But, but Spencer, that kind of uh, that kind of pisses me off. I'm going to be honest with sure, you because sure. w- that could be ripe with all sorts of you know challenges and and fraudulent activity and 
trickery, really. Because what if daddy, the real daddy, doesn't know? Yeah, that's a great point. And so biological fathers, they have some hoops they got to jump through. And if they want to actually be the dad, they have to do some things to really assert their rights. Um, to your point about the trickery, that's absolutely true. And there was a case that came out about five years ago. I know it well because it was my case. And it was with uh, <laughs> someone else at the firm when I wasn't working there. And that's what the court said. They said, okay, if you take if you sign this document and you do it fraudulently, you both know that this guy's not the dad, but you do it anyways, then there's no time limit as to when they can undo that. So they're not going to reward people for a fraudulent act. However, the question comes into play where in your scenario, uh, she has, you know, mom has multiple partners and she just doesn't know, never gets a DNA test and, and truly doesn't know, but thinks, hey, I think it's this guy. You know, this is the one who I've been with the most maybe. And I think it's this guy. So let's do it. And we're going to make him the father. In that scenario where they don't know and they're doing it, say, ignorantly, but they th they truly believe that he's the father, then the question becomes, okay, biological father's over here and he comes in, what can he do about it? Can he undo this? The answer is yes, but he's got a really limited window. So under the law, the couple that says, yeah, this is the father, and they sign this document, the acknowledgement of paternity, they have a 60-day window to say, you know what, I changed my mind. Like, I thought he was the dad, but he's not, or I thought I was the dad, and I think I'm not. They got 60 days to rescind, to take it back. Other than that, the other guy, the biological father, let's say he comes in, and he proves with the DNA test, hey, I'm really the father, not this guy that you said was the father. He's got six months from when that acknowledgement of paternity was signed and filed to undo it. After six months, too late. Again, that's ruthless. I mean, think about this for a second. This, you don't have to really get extreme in, your, in, in the examples here to really see how unfair this could be. Let's say that... that uh, you know, the, the mother has two partners, just like we said, or more, whatever it is, yeah. and knows that it's a crapshoot on who it is, who the daddy is, yeah. and then says, okay, I'm picking Frank, I'm picking Bill, whatever reason, whatever quality, this is the guy, this is going to be the best father for me as a, as a mother, this is who I'm picking, and she ghosts the other men. Mm -hmm. She just pushes them off. They don't know she's pregnant. They don't know that she's con that she's uh, given birth. She just ghosts them. How is that fair? Yeah. So, at the end of the day, I think the one of the main underlying principles that the court cares about is uh, stability and permanency for the child. So the way I think they view it is. I think they recognize, the court recognizes that it can have an unfair result on biological fathers, but they put above that the best interests of the child. And they're basically saying after so much time passes, you know, six months, and in a lot of these cases, more time goes by, uh, years. They say, we're not going to disrupt this child's, you know, quote unquote family unit or who this child knows or believes to be his or her father because this guy's late to the game, even if he may be the father. So, um, they they put above a biological father's you know desire want interest in being the father they put above that the child's best interest so that that's it definitely can seem unfair but they're trying to do it for what's best for the child um 
So in a scenario like that, though, what one of the things that people can do, what you know, biological fathers can do, is they really need to file a lawsuit. Um, it sounds kind of extreme and maybe you know something like in the movies, but that's really what they need to do. If they if they think that they are going to have a child with someone that they've you know had intercourse with, um, at the end of the day, they need to file a paternity action, and you can do that um, even when the mother is pregnant. You don't have to wait till the child's born. And that's probably the ideal time to do it because you can always do it as a placeholder and say, okay, once the ch- once mom gives birth, we're going to do a DNA test and find out for sure. And if I am, great, move forward. If not, lawsuit's over and you're done. Let's change up the facts, okay? Little sh- just a woman has more than one partner. One is her husband. The other is the biological father. And the child is born while they're still married. Who's yeah. a daddy? Yeah, really good question. So under the law, presumptively, the husband's the father. So there's this Arizona statute that says if you're married and you have a child, presumptively, the husband is the father. There is some case law on it. Um, yeah, It's not completely great in my opinion, but uh, there is some case law on it where it does provide an opportunity for the biological father to try to come in and assert his rights. Um, but it's really difficult, and it's kind of on the underlying principle of um, the law prefers to protect uh, a married family unit and disincentivizes other men from having intercourse with married women. Okay. <laughs> so it makes it harder yeah. for them to claim the child right. of a woman who's married. So in, in a roundabout way, yeah, it, it, it disincentivizes that type of social thing. But again, that's not his – I mean, I guess it is his fault that he decided to have relationships with, an, with a married woman. But he's being denied a relationship with his child. Yeah. And, and, and that's something where the law, in a lot of ways, uh, constructs our social policy, what we, what we believe in, what we think is important. And that's one of the areas where, yeah, on the one hand, it, it hinders his ability to father his biological child. But on the flip side, it's disincentivizing him to put himself in that position in the first place. So I knew I knew someone and I came across and I had they asked me for my counsel years and years ago. And it was that this situation. Mm. The woman says has multiple partners picks the picks the one that's finds out she's pregnant picks the one that uh, that uh, she thinks is going to be the better father and says all right you're it I'm pregnant it's your it's your baby turns out it was and it was someone else years later he finds out and he feels absolutely betrayed that this was not his child and he probably didn't have a very strong uh, instinct for fatherhood anyways and he ends up wanting to sever the relationship with the child. And, I, and my counsel to him was, what are you doing? It's not about you. Yeah. This is about the kid. And I, and I think that's where you're going here is that this is about the kid. You lose your rights as adults when you decide to you know, do things that harms children, right? Yeah. And and my and my response was don't throw this relationship away. This is a perfectly fine relationship. It doesn't really matter. Engage, be part, be dad. It's not satisfying for people 
when is when the relationships when the when these things happen. But again, it's not about the adults; it's about the kids. Yeah, and, and in that scenario, I think I would agree with you as far as the the advice you gave them on a social, you know, personal level, um, and and legally, you know, for for context, and so the audience understands. In that scenario, um, he can't get out of it. He couldn't sever that relationship legally, anyways. So he wasn't the daddy, but he's the daddy. Yeah. If if they agree, so going back to that acknowledgement of attorney I was talking about, you got sixty days, and after that sixty days, um, there's a six month window for you know fraud or mistake of fact kind of thing. But after that runs, um, you can't get out. And there's two established cases where um, that really make that clear. Um, that, the two parties that sign it, the mom and the supposed father, once that window closes, there's no getting out of it. But what if the, f- the, the, the father that signs, what if he finds out within six months of signing the affidavit that he's not the daddy? Yeah. So if he finds out and he files, some, uh, a mo- it's basically a motion to, to set it aside. Uh, he files that within the six-month window. He could get out of it. So let's say um, he claims that the mom you know, defrauded him, you know, maybe she presented him a false DNA test, or maybe she assured him that he was the only partner that she had or, or whatever. Um, or maybe he took a DNA test and showed that he's not the father. Those are things that he could use to say that there was a fraud or there was a mistake of fact. And I, I want to get out of this. And that's possible in that small window. When it's, when it comes to adopting adoption, it's not clear who your daddy is for quite some time. And there was a recent case in the Court of Appeals I saw. It came out, I think, golly, it was this year. It came out uh, July of this year, the opinion. And it's absolutely heartbreaking, the, the facts, no matter which way you turn. It's, and tell me about the case. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do, yeah. It's, uh, it's Cox v. Uh, Ponce. Ponce is the superior court judge they were, they were challenging. It actually just came out for the uh, Arizona Supreme Court. So it was on a court of appeals, then it went up to the Supreme oh, Court. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, yes. So it just, it just came out. Um, I know it well. Um, my former partners actually were on the case, and uh, fortunately for them, they won. Uh, so I know the case well. Uh, here's the, the nutshell version of it. Uh, mom and biological father have a child together. Um, they were not married, and then she wanted to give the child up for adoption, and so she went down that process. Part of that process under the law is she has to notify the dad, or who she thinks is the dad, that she's going to give the child up for adoption, which she did. Under the statute, that guy has a limited window of 30 days to file a paternity action to establish his paternity rights to the child and serve that on the mom. He had a lawyer, and um, they didn't file on time. They filed, I think it was 16 days late, uh, his paternity action. So when that came out, at the trial court level, you know, the mom and the adoptive family, they said, well, it's too late. You, you had 30 days. You, you missed it. We can move forward with the adoption. And then the father, of course, is saying, no, no, no. You know, I was, I was barely late, just over two weeks. You know, give me a break. And so they went round and round. Went up to the Court of Appeals, now the Supreme Court. Uh, interestingly, so at the end of the day... Let me, let me before, we, before we get to the, the punchline, the opinion here, yeah. the, the holding, it's 16 days, right? Yep. And, and the child will be, you know, the, the child of a whichever person the judge chooses to be the parent. 
he will he will he or she will be the child for his entire life. It's it's a relationship that's going to last yeah. decades. You know. And so 16 days just it it feels it feels like nothing and in, that, in the in the lifetime of the of the of the child. Yeah. And and, and that's I I believe that's strongly the argument that the dad was putting forward is, and my recollection is that this child uh, was very young. Uh, so I think the mom put the child up for adoption almost right away. So that we're talking about a, a baby, right? So 16 days is nothing in the 18 years of this child's you know, life until it becomes an adult. Right. And, and 30 days is, man, that's a short period of time. I mean, 30 days really how many things have we procrastinated for more than 30 days, right? Yeah. Um, and especially in in today's day and age of sexual politics where, you know, they, they may have not even had a strong connection of a relationship where for, when she became pregnant and conceived and bore the child. Mm-hmm. It, so it's not like he could have had a lot – he may not have had a lot of contact with mom during this process. And so – 30 days may have been a really short period of time for the guy. Yeah. And, and not just for him, but for all biological fathers, right? I mean, it's, it's a very short window. And so the question became the question that was presented in front of the the Supreme court was, you know, can this be excused in a sense under, you know, equitable principles under, you know, what we would say, what's fair, right? It, it, can we, can we toll this deadline? Can we extend this deadline, you know, just a little bit because of, yeah, because for, as an excuse, like, you know, like you're late to school and you have a really good excuse and, and you, it's okay. Let's say, I'm, let's say that I have some job that takes me away and, you know, I'm a merchant Marine, I don't know. And uh, I get served with this notice and I'm like, Okay, and and I'm not a lawyer, right? And and I get on the boat, and I'm out of sea, and there's nothing I can do about it for the next three months. I'm screwed, right? Yeah, you got to get some legal help. You got to get boots on the ground to do something for you there. Um, Tell me what the court, what the Supreme Court said. Yeah, so the the analysis came down to whether or not the Supreme Court was going to view this 30-day window as what's known as a statute of limitation. Some people may have heard that. That's kind of like a, you know, a, a legal deadline of when you have to do something, otherwise it's too late. Or what's a lesser known thing, a statute of repose, which is kind of like a end-all, be-all, final deadline, no extensions kind of thing. Um, there was one case in Indiana that they kind of glommed onto and analogized from. And ultimately the Supreme court said, this is a statute of repose. And because it's a statute of repose, equitable defenses, equitable principles don't apply. So we couldn't, they couldn't do anything under the name of equity or fairness to extend this 30 day window. So 16 days was too late. There's nothing they could do. The biological father cannot assert his paternity rights and the child's going to get adopted by this adoptive family. That's brutal. It is brutal. And and when you read it and you understand the facts and you realize that this guy, you know, he wanted to be the dad, he filed something, he was, you know, a couple weeks late and now he doesn't get to be the dad, it sounds super harsh. On the flip side, uh, because this is something I'm familiar with and I do a lot, I, you know, I look at everything on kind of both sides of the coin. On the flip side, I understand where the court was coming from because 
if you say, okay, we're going to make an exception, we're going to, you know, say it's two weeks late and we're going to use, you know, equitable principles, fairness to go, go beyond this. Then the question becomes, where does it end? You know, this case was two, two weeks. But if you give judges that power, it basically becomes a subjective power. And then they, you have judges all across the state who say, okay, well, this guy was only a month late. You know, it's not a big deal. I mean, barely anything. Or this guy was six months late. Yeah, that's a long time, but he's the dad. Let him be the dad. Okay, he was a year late. All right, but the child's only two. You know, the child's got a lot of life. He's the dad. Let him be the dad. Where does it end, right? So that I think that was an underlying concern that the court had of – if we make an exception here and there's no exception written in the law, then the exception can overcome the rule. And, and then that defeats kind of what I talked about earlier, the underlying principle that the courts have of creating stability and permanency for the child. So what they don't want to do is to have children who are ready, willing, and able to be adopted, have an adoptive family there, and then put that in limbo and jeopardize that based on a guy who's going to be who knows how late. You know, this scenario right. is heartbreaking, but the next guy might be a year late to the show. Or two years late. Right. And so they had to draw a hard line and unfortunately didn't work out for this guy. Yeah. You know, I get it. I mean, I get the hard line and I, and I think we could always go back to the state legislature and say, hey, 30 days is not enough or, you know, somehow change the rule. But on the other hand, you can imagine how brutal that would be for the adoptive parents, right? You're taking care of a child, and anyone who's cared for a child knows the late nights and knows that and the, the diaper changing and the feedings and the just the amount of energy you put in. You're going to give me PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have three kids. It's all coming back to me. <laughs> so, you know, you put in the, the joy and the pain and the, and the love – and the bonding that takes place, and then some interloper who has been around for two years says, I want, I want to come back in. Yeah. That's brutal. On the other side. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've, been, I've had cases, and I've been on both sides of the issue, and it's, it's tough. It, it's, it's a situation where someone's going to get really hurt. I want to change the subject from finding out who your daddy is in the law to finding to, to finding a way to make your daddy pay. Okay, yeah. So because that's not always clear throughout the United States is who pays. Yeah, she's pregnant. She's going through all the the pains of pregnancy, which anyone who has ever had a spouse or significant other do that knows that there's a lot of effort and a lot of money and a lot of challenges to bring that baby into the world. And then that's it, right? That's his, his the extent of his contribution wasn't much, and now it's <laughs> you know, and now yeah. now he really doesn't want to pay for what just happened the past 10 months, nine months previous, right? Yep. Can I make them pay? You can. Yeah. And, and every state has its own laws. Um, obviously once the child's born, you can establish child support, uh, here in Arizona, uh, you can get uh, birthing costs or at least half of the birthing costs. Um, but that's about it. Um, so you can get child support, date of birth going forward, and then half the birthing costs. 
And birthing cost means just what took place in that in that uh, that room, right? I mean, what, yeah. what the birthing room. Yeah, my my understanding and recollection is it's it's really limited to um, out of pocket, right? Utah recently passed a law. They wanted to go one step further, and they said you had to pay half of all the costs of bringing that child into the world, and, and including half of the health insurance. What do we think of that? Yeah, I saw that. Um, so kind of going back to what I said earlier about how the law, in a way, shapes what uh, we value socially, right? And yeah. the, kind of the law that disincentivizes a guy from having a relationship with a married woman. Uh, this disincentivizes, um, I think, financially uh, people from maybe having premarital sex um, or, or at least uh, having a child or, or at least it's going to put a huge financial burden on men that wasn't previously in place if they do get a woman pregnant. Um, and I understand it from the aspect of from the woman's side, uh, you know, being a single mother is one of the most, you know, difficult things, you know, socioeconomically uh, to raise a child and, right. and, you know, probably working two, three jobs just to make ends meet. Um, and a lot of the cost goes into bringing that child into the world. So, so I, I get where they're coming from, uh, but it, it is a, a rude awakening, I think, for a lot of guys. But is it, I mean, do we really feel bad for them? I mean, I don't feel one ounce of pity for them, you know, because otherwise their partner would be paying it all and he would be just off, off scot free. I mean, I don't have any pity. Is it a good policy? I think it's a good policy. What do you think? I, I agree with you. I, I think it's a good policy. Um, as an argument I just made in front of the Court of Appeals, actions have consequences. And this action has a consequence. And if you get someone pregnant, um, then it's going to have some cost to help that pregnancy go through. And why shouldn't you be contributing to that? So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm on board with it. And I don't see why um, just the mom would be financially responsible for the entire you know nine months of of pregnancy so i'm totally on board with it um some dads may not be spencer thanks for coming in and talking about who your daddy is because in the law as again as i said before in the <laughs> law who your daddy is may not be so clear and so you cleared it up a lot if I wanted to get a hold of you, not me personally, but <laughs> if one of our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Yeah, so uh, they can give me a call at the law firm, um, uh, main lines, 480-733-6800, um, or my email address, I'm happy to give it, uh, S. Schiefer, it's my last name, S-C-H-I-E-F-E-R at davismiles.com. Again, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs, don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. They want to hear from you. See you next time.